Well, welcome, friends. My name is um, Alexander Jensen, and I'm going to talk about, uh, as you can see, medical missionary work and the third angel's message. So before we start, let's just bow our heads shortly for a word of prayer that God he will bless us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this uh, conference, this ASI conference. We thank you for the many blessings that we could receive already. And now as we try to understand uh, the mission that you have for this church, the message you want us to give and the way we should give it, that people may understand it. We ask for your guidance. And we ask for your um, clear word that we may understand what our part is, Father, in this work. We pray for these gifts and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you have any questions, we will have time uh, in the end to uh, answer some questions. Welcome, everyone. Um, so, if you burn in with a question during the, the talk here, of course, it would be very nice if you can ask them. Um, so, because it is a workshop, it's not a sermon. But uh, I've tried to take a PowerPoint with us, with me here, because for, for all of us to see the texts uh, clearly. So, uh, in the third angel's message, in the conclusion, the last verse of the message, we have a very, very important verse, and that is verse twelve, and we will study this verse very meticulously, very in detail today. And we will see from this text that medical missionary work and righteousness by faith is all included directly in this third angel's message from this verse. Okay? Okay. And I'm very excited about this. So here we have the, the verse. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So let me ask you, how many characteristics do you see here from the group of people that will be faithful in the end? Because these people, they are in contrast to the beginning of the third angel's message, which says that some people will take the mark of the beast and worship the beast, right? And then you, you have this group, which is in contrast, and they do these things. So how many characteristics can we find from this group? Can I hear uh, some suggestions? Yes. What? Three? You have three? Okay. Yes. Any higher? Four. Four, yes. Maybe there are more, but I found four. So? Patience. They have patience. They are saints. That means they are holy. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay? And we will now go into shortly these four points. So we will start with patience. These people have patience. What does the Bible say about patience? So patience, this word that is used, uh, comes from a Greek word. I'm not a, a, you know, a theologian or anything. I just, you, you know, some of these apps today, they have the Strong's. So you can go in to look in the Greek. So I went in to look in the Greek. And then uh, in my little app, it's a really good app, actually, because you can click on the word and then there comes an option up where you can click 
on every other text in the Bible where the same word is used. Do you have that app or a similar app? I want this. You want this? <laughs> Come to me afterwards. It's a really, really good app. So the Greek word for this uh, word patience that these people have is hypomone or hypomeno. It's the same uh, kind of word. And I uh, I made a little study about this. Uh, and of course, we cannot go through all of it because there are about uh, or exactly 47 times uh, these words are used or one of them is used. But in general, uh, this word means continuance, perseverance, forbearance, stability, and of course, patience. That's the word that is used. And when you go through the Bible and you look up, I, I would encourage you to go through these texts. They are fantastic. It's so encouraging to read these texts. You will be so invigorated and built up in your faith when you look at these verses from the Bible. But in general, you can see that this word patience, when you have patience, it is connected with a deeper experience with God through trials. It is connected to experiencing fulfillment of God's promises. They persevered and then they experienced God's promises being fulfilled. It is connected with, with waiting patiently for something. And it is connected with doing good works and obtaining eternal life. So we can see, uh, I would like to have shown you all these verses, but then uh, we would not have time. Um, but please try to look these, these verses up when you come home. And it is also connected, uh, or it, it tells us in the Bible very clearly, that the way we receive patience is we get it from God and from his word. It says in Romans 4, 15 and Colossians 1. It says that we get it from his word and we get it from God, the God of patience. Okay, <clears throat> so, but is there in the Bible a condition for us receiving patience? Let's look at it. Pardon me? To accept, to accept the trials. That's true. So there are uh, certainly several conditions. But let's look at uh, the ladder of Peter. How many of you have heard the ladder of Peter? In Danish, we, we cannot, we don't express it the same way, and it's even translated a little differently. But in Second uh, Peter chapter one, we have Peter saying that in our Christian experience. First we start with this, and then we add 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 this. Okay, so we have like a, a ladder. So Peter, he says here, besides this, giving all diligence, add. So we have a, an addition. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance what? Patience, and to patience godliness. Okay, so in this letter, what comes before, just before patience? Temperance. Temperance. Can you see this? So in the letter, God, he wants us first to have faith. Then we will add virtue. Then we will add knowledge. And then comes temperance. And then comes patience. That is very interesting. So in order for us to experience patience in our lives... We must first be temperate. Can you see that? So, temperance. What is the word temperance? It is the word ekratia or ekratia. And it means a person who can control 
his passions and his or her appetite. That is what the word means, temperance. And Dwight says, it is impossible for an intemperate man or woman to be patient, a patient man. First temperance, then patience. Okay? So even from the inspired writings, we can see that this is the idea. We need to experience temperance first before we can experience patience. That means that the group in the end time who has patience, what are they also having? Temperance. Temperance. Which, a part, which is a part of the health message. So we know that the only way we can receive these gifts is from God, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us both these things. Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, these are the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, <coughs> long-suffering, which is kind of the same idea as patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. So if we receive the Holy Spirit, what will we have? Temperance. Among other fruits, fruits, we will have temperance. You see that? So we need to ask the Lord to give us the Holy Spirit because this is the only way we will get these things. This is what I've written here. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes into a person, he will lead that person to be able to control his passions and his appetite. Okay, but does it matter in the Bible what we eat and drink? Yes, clean and unclean. That's true. That's a... Pardon me? Yes, the, the, the very first uh, sin that came into the world was the appetite, or was, was dealing with appetite at least. True. But, exactly. We will look at some texts here. It is very clear in the Bible that what we do with our bodies uh, is very, very important. Also for our spiritual life. In 1 Peter 2.11, look at this verse. Dear beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Can you see the, there's a war going on here? And we have somebody who is attacking our soul. What is that? The fleshly lusts. Okay? We want our soul to be strong. Isn't that true? In the end time. And we can, what with what we eat, or if we get loose to, Lusts that are not good, that are sinful, this will destroy or attack our soul. So it's very important what we do. Of course, God, he has created the higher powers and the lower powers. The higher powers, those are the, the, the powers that should actually control the lower powers. But the lower powers are also control, is, uh, created by God. It's not sinful to eat. It's not sinful to drink. It's not in, sinful to have fun. Or to have sex. It's not sinful. But if those things control the higher powers, then you have a problem. So, this is uh, very important. And then we have the text from uh, our uh, dear friend here. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, 
do all to the glory of God. So we can, by what we eat and what we drink, we can either glorify God or we can not glorify God by what we eat or drink. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. What did God's original plan that we should eat? You know, this is what I actually tell when I have a health lecture. I almost always have this text in one of my lectures because this is so powerful because this was written thousands of years ago and now modern science is coming to the end that this is the right diet for us to eat, to, to be healthy. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb, that's the, the vegetables, the fruits, uh, or at least the, the vegetables, bearing seed, that's the, the, the nuts, the grains, the seeds, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit. There we have the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And later on we know, after the fall, man was also asked to eat uh, the, uh, the vegetables, the, herb, the herbs uh, of the field. So, what was the original diet? Fish, fish, a little fish. Did uh, Adam and Eve went out, you know, fishing? No. Were they out, you know, killing the, the, the cow to make a steak, even though it was clean? No. It was a plant-based diet. Yes. And that is the diet that is most helpful for us. And science proves it. God, he told us all the way. Okay. So what does the Bible say about stimulants? We'll just go shortly through. I'm, I'm sure many of you, you know these texts, but just to, uh, um, maybe give you some extra good uh, text that you can uh, share with other people. So what does the Bible, for instance, say about uh, wine or alcohol? Proverbs 20 verse 1. Wine is a mock. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever mm. is deceived thereby is not wise. So if you want to be wise, what should you do? Abstain from alcohol. Okay, if you want to be wise. For whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Okay, a little longer text. Try to, I have, of course, this is not in the original, these, these red markings, but try just to look at, at, the, at what it says here. Okay, and think about what the, what the text says. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not up thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a servant and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yeah, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, and as he that lieth upon the top of the masts, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When I shall awake, when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Okay, let's just look at this text. Woe, sorrow, contentions, wounds, redness of eyes, poisoning, you know, it's you're bitten by a snake. That's poison. Madness. You know, you see perverse things. You utter perverse things. You see strange things. Numbness. You know, they are beaten, but they feel it not. 
so they are numb. You know, I have worked at um, emergency department, and when uh, sometimes you know Friday to 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 Sabbath or in the weekends, if you work there, I try not to. Uh, mostly, I, I can I can uh, avoid it, but if I have to, I, I do it. Um, and people come in, and <coughs> if they are if they have alcohol on board, you know they can have been cutting themselves up and have big wounds, and you know we can show them they don't feel a thing. <laughs> Because they have been numbed by the alcohol. And it's not only the skin that is benumbed, the brain is also uh, partly benumbed. And you have the addiction that he will seek it again, even though all these bad things happen to this person. Question. It's so clear that this is something that destroys us and we should keep very, very far away from it. Do you know that, you no, know, for many years, Doctors and uh, scientists have been arguing that a little, uh, one cup or two cups of alcohol a day is okay. H- have you heard that? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen this U curve? Have you seen the U curve? No. Um, the U curve, I cannot write here now, but, but the U curve says that if you just drink a little alcohol, you actually have a lower mortality than if you drink none. And of course, if you drink much, you have a higher mortality again. But now they have looked into all these studies and they found a mistake. And the mistake was that when they recruited people into the study, the people that had been very sick because of their alcohol use and now didn't drink any alcohol anymore because they were very sick, they became into the group, they came into the group that was lifelong abstainers from alcohol. That means that they drew down this uh, non, uh, this lifelong abstainer group, they drew their mortality rate much down because they were very sick and they died quickly. So when they took those out of the group, then the line was a straight line. So the lowest mortality was if you were a lifelong abstainer. That's what they now recently discovered last year in 2018. So, um, you know, we should not be fooled by science. When science says something that is against inspiration, we have seen that hundreds of times, that at last science finds out that God was right all along. Okay. We will have a break, um, I think, maybe 22, so that we can uh, go out and refresh our minds again and come back. Okay. little more about the Bible and stimulants. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, our body, what is that compared to? A temple. Yes. The temple. Was that a clean place? Was that a holy place? Was that a place that you took care of very much? Yes, it was. And that's why our bodies is the same way. We should take care of our bodies. And um, Paul, he stresses it here. Oh, I have uh, put the Danish uh, comment here, but it's in in English, the the quotes at least. And what agreement had the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
So we should not touch anything or eat anything or drink anything that will make our body unclean or destroy it or hinder it in its, in its functions. So, conclusion with the first point. The third angel's message urges us to be patient, which includes or precludes temperance and a healthy diet and abstinence from stimulants. Can you see that? Okay. So we go on to, uh, okay, before we, we, um, dig into the next one with, with, the uh, uh, sanctification, holiness, let's just look at a few more statements. And I know these are not maybe, maybe for you guys, it's no problem, but in the church, these are not maybe the most popular statements to bring forth. But I think we need really to listen because this is actually something that science has not caught up to yet. What do you think this is all about? <laughs> okay, so tea, coffee, and tobacco are all stimulating and contain poisons. They are not only unnecessary, but harmful and should be discarded if we would add to knowledge temperance. Okay, so if we want to climb this ladder, we should discard these all together. <coughs> tea and coffee are stimulating. Their effects are similar to those of tobacco, but they affect in a lesser degree. Those who use these slow poisons, like the tobacco, usually think they cannot live without them because they feel so very bad when they do not have these idols. Those who indulge a perverted appetite, he's talking about using coffee, do it to, their in, to, to the injury of health and intellect. Listen, they cannot appreciate the value of spiritual things. Their sensibilities are blunted and sin does not appear very sinful and truth is not regarded of greater value than earthly treasure. So the reason why we should not drink coffee or caffeine is because it destroys our relish or our understanding for spiritual things. She says directly, tea and coffee drinking is a what? A sin. A sin. <laughs> An injurious indulgence, which like other evils, injures the soul. So we have to abstain from tea and coffee completely. Yes, so tea is not herbal tea. This is a um, black tea, green tea, everything with caffeine in it. Yes, she actually talks, I didn't take this quote with me, but she talks about um, that tea is even less... Uh, stimulating than coffee but should still be discarded yeah thank you for making that no green tea is not okay uh, because it also has caffeine teen i i don't know the exact chemical name actually but but it's it's a it's a derivative or uh, from from caffeine has this the same a similar effect the thing is that you will find many studies out there that actually um, say that coffee and tea drinking is very healthy. You know, Michael Greger even says that that uh, green tea is very healthy mm. and you should drink green tea. Tea. So this is something that the science does not uh, yet understand. There's a point? Uh, it's tannin. Tannin? Tannin. It's the same thing you find in wine and just makes your tongue really dry. Okay. Thank you. So tannin is the chemical name. Thank you. 
Okay, we go to the next one. We have four to go. Or we have four and all and all, so we have three to go. So here is the patience of the saints. Do you feel like a saint? I don't. No. Um, so let's look at some verses here. For this is the will of God. Isn't that a nice text? Sometimes the Bible is just so clear. This is the will of God. What is his will? Even your sanctification. That means making you holy. That ye should abstain from fornication. We'll look more into this just in a second. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Without which, that means without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Revelation 15. <coughs> Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. So we can see it's the will of God that we are sanctified, right? Without sanctification, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. And the only one who is holy, who is that? That's God. So the only way we can be holy, it's not by, you know, trying to make ourselves some, something better. It's by coming closer and closer to God and be more like him through his power because he's the only one who is holy. Is that true? Second Thessalonians, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of what? The spirit and belief of the truth. So how are we sanctified? Yes, but according to this text, by the spirit, by the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit when we are listening to the Holy Spirit that we are becoming sanctified. And what does the Spirit teach us? Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? The Word. So the Word and the Holy Spirit, the Bible, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit, that is the means how we are sanctified. So now we will, we hope the Holy Spirit is here. We pray that the Holy Spirit is here. To guide us and now we will look into the word and we hope that God he will try to sanctify us today okay and this we have to do every day let's look at it in holiness in practice first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 and the very God of peace sanctify you how holy now this holy is not the h-o-l-y it is W-H-O-L-L-Y. What does that mean? Holy. Completely. Yes. Totally. So the God of peace sanctify you totally. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So who will do this? Jesus. Jesus will do it in you. Isn't that wonderful? So we can have faith. If we give ourselves to Christ, God, he will do this for us. The spirit will be sanctified. That is the spiritual life. The soul, that is more the intellectual abilities, will be sanctified. And the body, our physical powers, will be sanctified. So God, he wants to sanctify all parts of our lives. 
Can we see that? It's a complete sanctification. Let's look at it in detail. We read this just before. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Okay, let's try to look at this text a little more deeply. So, on the one hand, God, he says, this is my will. What is, what is God's will? Sanctification. Making us holy. Yes. Then he tells us something that is in contrast to sanctification. What is that? Fornication. Okay, what does fornication mean? We'll look at that just in a moment. Then he says that every one of us should know something. What should we know? How to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. How many of you have a vessel at home? What is vessel? Yes. We need to know what a vessel is. What is a vessel? What In this sense, what is vessel? That is the body. Yes. We are, we are talked as earthen vessels. We are described as earthen vessels in the Bible. Yes. So everyone should know, everyone in the church should know how he can preserve his body in holiness and in honor. You see this? And this is in contrast to what? Fornication. Yeah. Now, what is fornication? Fornication is the Greek word pornea. Where we get which word from? Porno or pornographic. Yes. And it means adultery, sex out of marriage, homosexuality, lesbianism, masturbation, or sex and sex with animals. Okay? This is what fornication means. Is this a problem in the world today? Do we see these things all over the place? Yes. Is it difficult for us not to be affected by this? It is very difficult. I find it very difficult. Especially as a young person. The problem is that it's not you're saying all over the world. Um, the Bible says when we are when we commit sin because we are enticed by our lusts and give in to sin. These lusts exist as part of, of who we are, I guess. Yeah. And that's why uh, Jesus said, you know, if you just look at a woman to think of doing something to her and you've already committed it. Yeah. So that's why it's, it's part of, I mean, not just the world, but the church, anybody really. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, the thing is, I, f- I find if I go a place, for instance, in a, a shopping mall, a normal shopping mall, you will have these things all over the place, you know, and it is very difficult to keep your mind straight. So I, I just I just decide this is my maybe my big weakness. I cannot go to the shopping mall. Seriously. I should keep away as much as I can from the shopping mall. If I have to go there, you know, you, I look just before me on the street, you know, and then and t- tell my wife, which where's the shop where we have to go? You know, because it's, it, it, it really triggers you. It really triggers you because, as you say, it's in the flesh. So uh, this, is a, this, is, this is tough. This is really, really tough. But God, he says, my will is that you should be sanctified and you should keep away from these things. You just mentioned the verse. Jesus said, you've heard of old time, 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman, if your woman looketh at a man, to lust after her or him, hath committed adultery with her or him already in his heart. I, this is not talking about, as I understand it, that you are tempted by thoughts. This is talking about that you um, cherish willingly these lustful thoughts. Yeah, because uh, we are all tempted and we can have thoughts coming into our head. But if we choose to cherish them and think about them, that's the problem. <clears throat> yeah. But we should try as much as we can to keep these thoughts away. It's Much of this is in the thoughts. Yes. There's a group of scientists who did the studies on where they saw the brainwaves of a monkey eating peanuts. And one day, um, <coughs> the, they had a lunch break, and they decided to eat the peanuts. And the, the um, all the stuff was still on the monkey measuring the brainwaves. And as they started to eat peanuts, they saw an interesting thing on the screen. The same center was lighting up when the monkeys saw them eating the peanuts as it ate them themselves. So by beholding, you become changed. And that is, for me, what this verse is all about. Yeah. Thank you for that comment. Did you all get that? Exactly. Mirror neurons, it's called. When we look at something and we think about something, it is almost as if we are doing it. Yeah. Yes. So, should we watch Pornea on movies? No, we should not. Should we be thinking about it? No, we should not. Sanctification will lead us to have or to abstain from these things. So, this is very important. Okay, we go a little step further. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. <clears throat> be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, but fornication <coughs> and all uncleanness or, un or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. As becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish <coughs> talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. We have the same point here. We should not even talk about it. So should we look at it? Of course not, and we should not even do it, because the thing is, sin comes in stages. First we begin to look at it, think about it, and then in the end we will do it. So we have to keep a distance from this. What did Joseph do when he was tempted? Ran away. He ran away. He is my hero in this. You know, so many men in the Bible fell on this point. So many men. But Joseph... He conquered it, and Christ also. He was tempted in all things, just as we are. Okay, so uh, what about in marriage? <laughs> Go to Jason's and Maggie's workshop tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> this is a, I have not heard what they are talking about. I'm sure they will talk about very interesting and very important things. Let's just look at a few verses here. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But warmongers and adulterers, God will judge. So, did God create sex in the marriage? Yes. Yes. Is sex sinful? No. No, not within the marriage relation. But here it still says that the bed is undefiled. And then it contrasts 
with something else. Warmongers and adulterers God will judge. So, marriage is honorable in all. How can we preserve this uh, honor in the marriage relation, even? Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove of it. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will <laughs> of God? Could it be that we could, even in the marriage, have been conforming to the world? You know, I will just, uh, I cannot maybe prove this from the Bible, but I would like to give you some points that have been uh, come out uh, scientifically. Uh, you all, how many of you know Neil Nedley? Yeah, almost all of you. And uh, he has been doing uh, several studies on this. Um, he explains, and I'll give you the reference to the YouTube video that I think all marriage couples should see, sexual activity done more frequently than or than every fourth day or in an overstimulating fashion leads to destructive changes in the brain. Atrophy, that means shrinkage on the frontal lobe, fatigue, tiredness, less empathy, outbursts of bad temper, anxiety, and difficulties of concentration. If we, these things are done. So even within the marriage relation, we can, we can take something that God has given us a gift and we can drive it to something that is destructive. Did God create eating and drinking? Yes. The reason why most people die today in the Western world is because they drive drinking and, and eating to excess. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with this gift of God. Here's the, the you can take a picture of it if you want. And uh, this is very, very, very important. Um, he explains in detail, Neil Nedley, uh, the, the science about this. Yes? Ellen uh, G. White, she writes a lot about it. Yes, a lot about it. Uh, the video is uh, an interview, two interviews with Neil Nedley. Um, sex, Neil Nedley. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. Just look at what he says. You know, there will be many other bad things under under him. Okay. So, conclusion, and then we'll have a break. The third angel's message urges us to be holy, to be saints, which entails all parts of our life should be sanctified. They should be in harmony with God's will and that we abstain from pornia and unhealthy use of God's gifts. Okay. The last part I'm excited about. But now we have a break. Um, let's say five minutes. Is that okay? So five minutes, we will start again back here. So just... Walk up, go downstairs, go outside, take some water, and we will be back in five minutes. Okay, I think for sake of time, we need to start again. <clears throat> so, the last two characteristics we will deal with uh, together. <clears throat> so, the patient of the saints, and then we have here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So there are two things they keep, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So this combination, these two, 
it is such a wonderful and powerful combination. And we will look at it now. <clears throat> the faith of Jesus. Now, what does that term mean? We have to deal with that first before we come to the commandments of God. What is the faith of Jesus? If you would put it in another way. Prophecy. Yes, maybe. But if you just look, if you want to phrase, phrase this in a different way. The same faith as Jesus had. Yes. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus' faith. It is his faith, right? So in the Danish Bible, it says uh, that they have faith in Jesus. But if you look at the text, uh, it is a genitive. That means it's Jesus' faith. So they have Jesus' faith. Okay? That's a very important point. Look at what this means to us. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is justified, oh, sorry, is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So how are we justified? What is it that justifies us? Christ? But what does the text say? The faith of Christ justifies us. Isn't that a little strange idea? That Christ's own faith is the thing that justifies us. And that is what we believe in. Can you see that? Because it says that we are justified by the faith of Christ, even we have believed in Christ. So we believe this truth, that Christ's faith justifies us. Okay, we will try to look at this. Because these people, they have the faith of Jesus. So the faith of Jesus makes us righteous. It's a gift, and we can receive it by faith in this promise. But what is faith? Our faith in Christ and also Christ's faith. What is faith? Yes, we always think about Hebrews 11. You know, the substance of things hoped for, the things we cannot see. You know, believe in that. Yeah. So, and that is true and right. But let's try to take two texts in the Bible that talks about this and combine it and see what we get. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So should a man live, a, a good, a righteous man, should he only live of bread? No. What is the addition that he should live of? Every word that comes out of God's mouth. The Bible. Exactly. We need to live after God's word. <clears throat> and then a very short verse, or a part of the verse, Romans 1, 17, the just shall live by what? Faith. So a righteous man, what does he live by? By faith. But if we combine these two, then we have that a true, true faith is living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Can you see that? If you combine these two. This leads to righteousness. Because it says, the just shall live by faith. Because faith is always 
based on God's promises. God's word. You know it says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Christ, he upholds the whole creation by what? By his powerful word. You know, the reason why you sit here, the reason why your heart is beating, that you can think, the reason why the world is circulating around the sun and that all the galaxy is kept in order is because of what? Christ's word. That is how powerful it is. So when we believe in Christ's word, that is when miracles can happen in our life. So true faith is living by every word, trusting in every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and that leads to righteousness. But what is righteousness? We have to define these things very clearly in our minds. What is righteousness? Deuteronomy 6.25 And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. So what is righteousness? Obeying God's law. Can you see that? Isaiah 51, 7. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my what? Law. So when we have God's law in our hearts, we have righteousness. Psalms 119, verse 172. We know this text also. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So we can safely say, righteousness is obedience to God's law. Can we not say that? So when we are made righteous, it means that we are made into conformity to obedience to God's law. Another question. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To save us. Exactly. Matthew 1, 21. And he and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? Savior. Yes. For he shall save his people from what? From their sins. Now what is sin? It is the transgression of God's law. We read... In 1 John 3, whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. <clears throat> so sin is the transgression of the law. Righteousness is keeping the law. Can you see that? So, Jesus, he came to save us from sin, transgression of the law, and give us his righteousness, his obedience to the law. That is what salvation is all about. Can you see that? That is the point of, of salvation that he wants. Because what is that separates us and God? Sin. He wants to take away transgression of the law so that we can come close to God and keep his commandments. And as we heard from the lectures before, from Christopher Cram, the love of God is uh, keeping God's commandments. We will see that just in a moment. So, all this can happen in our life by the faith of Christ. This is not something we do. Everything happens because of the faith of Christ. And we will try to discover what this means. Let's look at Christ's life.
for a, for a moment. Did Jesus keep the Ten Commandments? Yes. Okay. Did he have other gods before his Father in heaven? No. Did Jesus worship idols? No. Did he take God's name in vain? Did he keep the Sabbath? Yes. Did he honor his parents? Yes. Did he kill? No. Did he commit adultery? No. Did he steal? Did he lie? Did he covet? No. So Jesus, he lived a 100% righteous life. Why? Because we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it, but how could he do it? The just shall live by faith. It was because of Christ's faith in his Father that he could do it. Was it because of his divinity? No, he had emptied himself. He was a, he was fully God, he was fully man, but he had emptied himself. The reason why he could live a righteous life was because of faith in his Father. Because the just shall live by faith, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he did it because he lived by faith. He earned a perfect righteousness, and he wants to give that life, that perfect righteous life, to you. And we can receive it by faith. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? We can believe and take this gift that Christ's life can be ours. Because our life is a mess. Our life is sinful. And we need another life. We need Christ's life. And we can believe in that. So, the Bible talks about that Christ's righteousness is ours. Listen to this. Isaiah 55, sorry, 45. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. And a little further in 54, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, what tongue is that? Satan. Satan is the one who accuses us in the judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of who? Is of me, says the Lord. And the best texts, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Who is that? Jesus. And a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the, his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus can be your righteousness. He can be my righteousness when we believe in it. He wants to give us that righteous life. What will that lead to? When we believe that Christ, his faith, led to a righteous life, and that righteous life he gives to us, what will that lead to in practical life for us? Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that means here on earth, I live by the faith 
of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you see here that it is the faith of the Son of God that makes it possible for Christ to live in us? So we can wake up in the morning and we can say to God, God, I want to give my whole life to you. I want to be crucified with you, Christ. And I believe in this promise that because of the faith of the Son of God, he can live in me today. And if we believe in that, you know, if we have constant faith in this promise, this will be true of us. Jesus gives us his righteousness and takes away our sins. And Jesus can live our righteous life in us today. And we can have, you know, it's a burden that falls off our shoulder because we have to be dependent on Christ living in us and not on our own strength. Does this make sense? Yeah. How did Christ dying save me? I mean, yeah, he paid for our sins and all that, but this whole problem is that I make wrong decisions. I take wrong turn every time. So the question for me is, how does he do this? You know, because him dying back then, 2,000 years ago, somehow supposed to save me. His faith, the faith that he had on the cross that you know, his father would raise him again, and even though he couldn't see it, someone's supposed to save me and that's where my question comes in how does he do that because i'm just supposed to make the right choice i'm just supposed to you know forge that pathway in my brain somehow and that's only me who can make that decision and god can't do it for me if he won't force me yeah if he can't force me and i have over years built up as many of us have bad habits that are just Mm. How am I supposed to have just you know you know it just sounds too easy to me? Yeah. Just have faith, you know, just mm. let him live his life in you and all that, you know. Mm. And that is where I come in and say, you know, how are we supposed to say to people when we talk to them and even for ourselves how it works? Yeah. I mean the, the that's just I think I, don't know if you get what I'm I, I, I get what you because this is this is our struggle. Because we so easily forget and we so easily do not exercise the faith. But, you know, we need to have this constant faith in this promise. Because when we have faith in God, he will do miracles in our life. But if we, you know, it's so easy to, listen, to, to, to be disconnected from God through the day. So I try, you know, um, and I still need to get much better in it. You know, Daniel, how many times did he pray a day? Three times. And it was not a short prayer in the, in, at midday because... Uh, it took time for the you know these other evil people to see him praying there, right? So, so he had actually some time. He had to have this time to reconnect to God all the time. And I think what Christopher he he told about he talked about yesterday, tried to educate ourselves to think about God's word throughout the day. It's the only way because we need to keep God's word in front of our minds because that's the thing we have to have faith in. So I don't have any easy, easy solution. It is a fight. But God, he will help us in it. We have to start up in the morning. The first thing we do in the morning. 
give ourselves to God. Yeah, but it's difficult. We should not be discouraged if we fall. Get up again. But but um, it is a struggle. I I I I don't have an easy solution for that. Maybe we have an easy solution over here. The brain is a wonderful design. I did a test on atheists who were studying, and they were told to think of a loving God in heaven. And they did this for two, three months. And after that, they could see that they became more loving persons. They could also see that the area in the brain that had to do with sympathy started to grow. Ellen White writes that it is good for us to use a thoughtful hour each day to think about Christ, his entire life, and especially the scenes uh, towards the cross. Yeah. This will change us. This will lead us more into Christ. This will lead us to have more sympathy. Mm. And this is the way I can see that we can even start to love our enemies. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen to that. Okay, we need to go a little further here. We have. Okay. So how does this look like in practice? That Christ lives in us. We have to look, that's what we're talking about, at Christ's life. What did that look like? like you say? It was a hundred it was a fit it was a life of hundred percent faith in God's word, and it led to hundred percent obedience to God's law. But what is the hundred percent fulfillment of God's law? What is it? What is the fulfillment of God's law? Yes. Romans 13. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if we say that we keep the law and we don't have the love for other people, it's not true. Jesus, he loved people. Whether some people he loved more than others or some he did not love? No. He loved Everyone. Do we do that? Not always. And of course, this is something we have to receive from God. But we understand that in order to live this life, we need to come to the point where we love people. We love the pe- we love our neighbors. We love uh, love our colleagues. We really love them. And we don't have this in ourselves. But we need to come to this point by God's grace. Ask him to have this love for other people. So how did Jesus love people? Did he just sit down in his uh, in his uh, chair back in in uh, you know his city Nazareth and loved? He was out. He did medical missionary work. You know this is this is this is this is the logical conclusion of the third angel's message. We have the faith of Christ. We keep his commandments. And this naturally will lead to, because this is what it is, medical missionary work. 
helping people. He preached, he taught, he healed, he relieved physical needs and spiritual needs. So, let's say that Jesus, one day, as he was traveling through a city, he saw this leprous man lying there. And he came up to this leprous man and he said, poor leprous man, you know, it's really, you're really bad condition, but I would like to have a little Bible study with you. And he gave me a Bible study and then he left. Would that be love? No, that would not be love because he only helped him with the spiritual needs. Isn't that right? It was a very important need, but Jesus, he would always heal and preach, right? If he now came to this leper and he came to the leper and said, I'm so sorry that you're leprous. Let me heal you. And he healed him and then he let him go lost. Would that be love? No, no that would not be love. Love is the combining of both. Can you see that? So when we really love people, we will love them in all aspects. Now, some people, they will say no to the gospel and no to the Bible, and that's fine. But we should still help them because we love them to have a good life here. Because we love them. And if they want to, to get the, the, you know, the eternal life, of course we are more happy. But we will still love them and give them all we can. So God's, Christ's love deals with all aspects of man. Christ, uh, uh, Elgin writes, listen to this quote. This is maybe one of the most uh, important quotes today. The union of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul is the true interpretation of the gospel. So the union, that means the coming together of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul, that is the true interpretation of the gospel. So if we only try to tell people about Jesus, but we don't care about their lives and what they need actually physically, it's not a true interpretation of the gospel. She goes on to say, the Lord will give you success in this work, medical missionary work, this Christ-like work for the soul and for the body. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation when it is interwoven with a practical life, when it is lived and practiced. This is what Christ did. It says in Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith that worketh by love. True faith is active. This word worketh, it comes from the word energeo, energy, work, exercise, power, effectuate, to show itself active. So true faith will always result in doing something for the people. If our faith is only theoretical, listen to what, what James he tells us. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say that he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, that is physical needs, right? And one of you say unto him, this is preaching, you know, you preach to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, he give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead 
and we know that the dead know nothing, right? They, they are not active, being alone. So, if we only have a theoretical faith, then we don't have a real faith. Real faith works by love. Okay, medical wisdom work, that is the work that Christ did. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And if we receive the righteousness of Christ, it will lead to obedience to God's law, but that obedience to God's law is love, loving the people and loving all aspects of people and helping them with their needs. And we will do medical missionary work. God's purpose in committing to men, listen to this, and women, the mission that he committed to Christ is to disentangle his followers from all worldly policy and to give them a work identical with the work that Christ did. So isn't it easy? We should just look at Christ, what he did, and we should do it. We have an identical work with Christ. <clears throat> okay, we will have a um, historical ending here and then a short appeal. Another short appeal, a long appeal, actually. And a historical clu- conclusion here. Who is this guy? Anyone know? Yeah. Kellogg. John Harvey Kellogg. Yes, that's where we get our Kellogg conflicts. John Harvey Kellogg. He, you know, if when you think about this man, do you mostly think negative uh, thoughts or positive thoughts? Negative. negative thoughts, yes. But actually, for a long time, this man was an instrument of God. And she White, she calls him the Lord's doctor or the Lord's physician. He was in 1888, <clears throat> he was converted. And why she says. And in the 1890s, he began to start what is called the Christian Help Bands. What was that? That was church members and a few nurses. They came together and they used some of their time doing medical missionary work. They took a city, they divided it up in small districts, and then they went out. They knocked on doors, and then they asked, is there any places where there is need of help? Food, clothing? Then they distributed food, gave out clothing, gave simple treatments to people, and uh, showed people how to cook. So remember to go to Sandy and Lass's workshop tomorrow. They would have uh, cooking. And the church members, they used every week between one hour up to maybe five hours where they helped people. Do you think that would do something to our character if we did that? Every week, doing a few hours of work where we helped people. Do you, you think it would change us? It would change us. <clears throat> so some of the nurses, they were sponsored by the church to do full-time work. Actually, it's very amazing to read about it. Some of these nurses, they were, you know, uh, uh, women. They went to Chicago and they went into the slum, to the most dreaded areas where there was a lot of murder. Every day, there was people being murdered there. There was alcoholics. But they prayed to God that he would protect them. And they went in. And, you know, these nurses, they were some of the most respected by everyone, also the murderers, you can say, in the city. So when uh, there was one instance where a nurse, she had to go into a a building and she had to go through some flats up to the third floor, perhaps, 
and help a, a sick lady up there. So she went in, and when she came in, in the building, <clears throat> there was a lot of men, and they, they were fighting over something. You know, they were full of alcohol, and they were, you know, they were fighting. But when she came in, they stepped back, so she could go through, and then they continued fighting, and she could go up, do, do her treatment, and when she came back, they would do the same again. Or one of the, the alcoholics would say, well, don't touch that woman. She's a holy woman, a good woman. And she could go through and they would continue their the fighting. So this was tough work that they did. One time, there was a woman that, that was going into one of these slums and, and a policeman came by and he said, oh, 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 don't go in there. That's dangerous. But she said, you know, the Lord is with me. I will go. And he let, him, let her go. But even men... You know, normal men would not go in there, but God protected these women. So there was very soon when they started these health, health bans, there was a huge need. <clears throat> more and more families, you know, wanted to have, have this help. So this, uh, these groups became more and more numerous, but there was a problem. We'll come to that shortly. And Juwachi writes, when this was shortly after these health bans began to do a work, she said, the time of test is just upon us. For the loud cry of the third angel has already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ, the sin-pardoning Redeemer. No, I believe that the reason the loud cry was begun was that this work, this righteousness of Christ, this loving people, this helping people, and also, you know, they were praying with them, they were teaching them the word, but they were also showing them the righteousness of Christ. It was a revelation, not a preaching of the righteousness of Christ. This was when the loud cry began. Do you think it was finished? It was, it was not. This is the beginning of the light of the angel whose glory shall fill the whole earth. This is Revelation 18, where the angel comes down and the whole world is lightened by his glory. But, unfortunately... Kellogg received great opposition from the ministers. In the, in the 90s, when they had general conference, they came together. John Kellogg, he gave the ministers a hard time because the ministers and the people were beginning to smoke again, beginning to eat meat again, drink coffee, and you know, be more and more less care, caring for the, for, the, for the suffering, for the hungry. And, and it, was a, it was a very big conflict, unfortunately. The, pre the ministers, they liked more preaching and they were less interested in, in helping out. And the message of the Bible about, you know, healthy living, abstinence from caffeine, tobacco and meat and adopting a vegetarian diet was uh, literally a, a big mouthful for the ministers. So after a time, this work died out. And I believe the loud cry died out as well. Because if the loud cry has be had been there in the 90s, we would not have been here. So appeal, an appeal in the end. Are you still alert? Are you still awake? Yes. Okay. God, he still waits for this work to be done. It has never been done fully. It was begun small there and then it was stopped. And maybe several times it has begun, but it has always been stopped. If this, if you don't decide to do something with this message of this workshop, it will be useless. It will also be useless for me. If I go back home 
you know, and just do my own job, you know, it will be useless. But if we take this message seriously, it will do something. The faith of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the life of Jesus, it can be our faith, it can be our righteousness, it can be our life. And the result will be love for man and active medical missionary work. But we must be willing. Jesus, he said, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This work requires self-denial. I just have to say it. You know, you come home back, you come home from work, you are tired, you have to make food, you have to do different things. It is a sacrifice to take an hour out to do something. Isn't that true? It is really a sacrifice. But Jesus, he said, if we want to follow him, we did he sacrifice? Did the disciples sacrifice? Did the pioneers sacrifice? Can we come, can we end, it, end the work by not sacrificing? No, we cannot. We have to sacrifice. And it will cost us something. So, Jesus' life was a wonderful life, but it was also a life of sacrifice. Just see what he did. He gave his life for us. So are we willing to walk in his footsteps? I believe and hope we are. So now I'd like to share two quotes for you. And you, can you see some of the words are in, in, in italics? These were in italics in the original writings. So this was something Ellen G. White wrote, and then she put it in italics so we would really get it. Okay? Listen. This work, the medical missionary work, is the work the churches have left undone. And they cannot prosper until they have taken hold of this work in cities, in the highways, and in hedges. Can the church of God prosper until we do this work? No. But if we will do this work, will we prosper? Christ says we will be successful in this work. It says, then angels will of God will cooperate with human instrumentalities and a religious system will be inaugurated to relieve the necessities of suffering human beings who are in physical, mental, and moral need. Next quote. The moral apathy that is prevailing in the churches today, is that true description of our, us today? Unfortunately, it is. Unfortunately, it is of my life too. Would be largely corrected if they would consider that they are under the service to God to do the very good work Christ did when he was upon earth and went about doing good. The very work Dr. Keller, he, she's talking about these Christian help bands, has been managing is the kind of work the whole of our churches are bound to do under covenant relation to God. So this is, I mean, this is the gospel. If we don't live the gospel, we are not the church of God. We are bound to do this. And it will, it will come naturally if we really love people. Um, they are to love God supremely and their neighbor as themselves. They are to realize all our brethren. There are no favorites with God. <clears throat> I have a, a few quotes more. I hope you can uh, live through them. Okay. The Lord gave me light that in every place where a church was established, medical missionary work was to be done. So every church should have this. But there was in Battle Creek Church a great deal of what? Selfishness. The reason why we don't do medical missionary work 
is because of selfishness. That's just how it is. And that has to change in our hearts. Those at the very heart of the work indulged their own wishes in a way that dishonored God. Dr. Kellogg was not sustained in the health work reform, the importance of which had been kept before the church for 30 years. Elmice says this was told the church 30 years and they did not get it. Now finally Kellogg was to it and they were opposing him. This work has hindered, was hindered because of the feelings of prejud- and prejudices of some in Battle Creek who were not disposed to conform their course of action to the word of God regarding health reform principles. We first need to self-reform, be willing to reform before we can take this work up. We have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. So is it only for doctors? Is it only for nurses? Is it only for, you know, whatever? No, it's every member of the church. The world is a laser house. Is that true today? It is. Filled with victims of both physical and spiritual disease. Everywhere people are perishing for lack of knowledge of truths that we have been, that have been committed to us. The members of the church are in need of a, of an awakening that they may realize their responsibility to impart these truths. Those who have been enlightened by the truth are to be the light bearers to the world. To hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake. The message to God's people today is arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Okay, so God has for a long time waited for us. How long more will he wait? Will you do something about this when you come home with your church? We have been instructed, this is one of the last quotes, we have been instructed by the Lord that the medical missionary work is to be the third is to be to the third angel's message as the right hand to the body. So the body, that's the message. That's the three angels' messages. The hand, it's the medical missionary work. And the hand opens so that message can come in. The right hand is used to open doors through which the body may find entrance. This is the part the medical missionary work is to act. It is to prepare the way for the reception of the truth for this time. A body without hands is crippled and inefficient. In giving honor to the body, honor should also be given to the helping hands, which are agencies of such great importance. The body, which treats indifferently the right hand, refusing its aid, will accomplish little. Could it be that our evangelistic city, uh, meetings, when we go through Bible truth, have only accomplished little because we have not connected it with medical missionary work? So, before we come to these suggestions, I would actually like to show you one thing here. Uh, 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 uh. Yes. So, I would like you, I would like to give, uh, uh, take a picture of this, uh, or, or come to me and I'll give you the, the, the PowerPoint afterwards. Go in and try to listen especially to this sermon. It's called uh, J.H.N. Tyndall a 20th century medical evangelist. This is a story about a man called Tyndall, and he followed, actually, this blueprint. And it's the story of, of his work in, the, uh, in America in the beginning of the, the 20s and 30s and 40s, and his tremendous success with combining a clear message of the three angels' message 
together with medical missionary work. And how this work just exploded in, in the States at that time. This is an amazing, you should all listen to this. I have listened to it several times and I'm, you know, fired up every time because I really believe this is what we need. And this is a, a, a you know, um, YouTube video uh, about how you can do hydrotherapy because what are the things we can do? No, the first thing we do, we must pray, pray, pray. We must be uh, surrendered to Christ. What can we do, for instance, uh, to do medical missionary work in our city? We could do a health expo. We could start a food demonstration. You know, you can go from door to door. I've tried this. It actually works. You can go from door to door, either with a health uh, questionnaire or a more spiritual or, or both questionnaire, and ask people who who, has, who needs help and then uh, just help them with what they need. Um, visit sick church members, try to help them. You can do a, this is a little more uh, comprehensive, do a um, depression recovery program by Neil Nedley. He has online uh, resources where you can uh, take a, a course online and then you can do an eight-week uh, session in your community and talk to Casper uh, if you don't want to know more. He, uh, I took it myself. I have not do it, done it in practice. Casper uh, has done it in practice. Several has done it uh, many, many places in the world. And it's a wonderful way also to do medical missionary work. Um, just some, something as simple to invite your neighbors into your house. Give them something to eat. Talk with them. Get to know them. Invite them for a short, interesting worship. Say, you know, in this house, we like to end the day by uh, reading from the Bible and uh, having a prayer. Do you want to join? You no. Know, most people will say yes. Start street mission, you know. Use your imagination. So I think we'll, um, some uh, um, sources that can help you to become intelligent in medical missionary work. Read Ministry of Healing. You know that book, right? That contains, you know, most you need. If you just read that, you are equipped to, to tell the people much. Uh, Desozo. How many have heard you about the book Desozo? Some of you. Yes. So this is the book Desozo. This is, has actually, you know, much more and what I also talked about today, but much more. He tells about, you know, all the historical developments of um, medical missionary work and the loud cry and all these things. This is a very, very good book also to read. Very inspiring book. And here we have Ministry of Healing. So here we have, uh, there was the hydrotherapy YouTube. You can look all the, the it is a long list of, of hydrotherapy um, lectures where they do it in practice, it's, it, they are short videos, so you can uh, quickly learn it, and it's it's very um, uh, uh, simple to, to understand, So and you can do it uh, right away for, for people that, that need help. Oof, okay, this is the last slide, I, I promise, okay? <laughs> the long the long last slide, okay. This is, you, you can hear, this is actually a, a big, big uh, theme. We are called by Ellen White several times to go to Isaiah 58, 6, uh, the whole chapter. This is talking about Seventh-day Adventists. L look at this. This, uh, this, we will, this is what we will end with. Is, it, is not this the fast that I have chosen, God says, to lose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let your oppressed go free and to break every yoke? What is that talking about? 
that is that is talking about helping people to be free of sin. You know, they are they are in prison. You know, they have burdens on their on their shoulders. It's talking about what Christ can do for them. And then it goes on. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? What is the last time I brought a alcoholic into my house and, and gave him the bed to sleep overnight? I never did that. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him. You see a need, you fulfill it. And that thou hide not thyself from an own flesh. If you see a, a fellow being that you don't hide yourself from him, as if you don't know him. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. Even our own health will, will improve. And thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer. You know what he says here? If we do this work, we will praise to God, and God will answer us, as never before. Where, where, where were we here? Uh, thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, see what he does, see what she does, take that back, and speak in vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in draught, and make fat thy bones. Thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee, shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of past to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, not finding thine own pleasure, nor speak thine own words, then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. This is talking about the, the loud cry. And feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This is talking about Adventists. This is the Sabbath that is brought up. This is the third angel's message that is brought up. Together with medical missionary work, God, he will listen to us. He will answer our prayers and he will bring about the loud cry. Can you see that? That is why I'm so, you can hear, I'm so passionate about this message. We have to get this. We have to experience this. We have to do this. And the loud cry will begin again. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.